KRCL, Salt Lake City. Hi, I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive, KRCL's show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. And have I got a group for you tonight. Stick around. Erica George, director of the Tanner Humanities Center at the University of Utah, and Sandra Stokes, chief impact officer of the YWCA of Utah, are going to be here. We're going to talk about Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown-Jackson, the hearings going on back in D.C., also, the Y is getting ready for its annual Stand Against Racism Challenge. Angela Davis is coming to the state with them. We'll get you all signed up for that. Sandra's even helped with the playlist tonight. But we're going to start with rallies and resources, which you can find at krcl.org. In fact, if you want to play along at home, I'm pulling it up right now, getting my computer going for the show. Under the Community Affairs tab, you will find rallies and resources. Coming up this weekend, it's the Ogden's Untamed Women Walking Tour. Amazing true tales of women who broke the mold. And it's not going to cost you anything. Led by Weaver County Heritage Foundation and Better Days 2020. Can't even read my own writing here, folks, on the screen. (laughs) Celebrate Women's History Month by walking in the footsteps of some of Ogden's amazing untamed women. Led by Dr. Katie Nelson of the Weber County Heritage Foundation. Coming up next week on Thursday, March 31st, Transgender Day of Visibility, and there will be a march organized by Project Rainbow and a rally starts at five o'clock at the Capitol, South Steps. And they're gonna walk down to City Creek Park at North Temple and State Street. More details in the rallies and resources tab. Another item on the list here, Friday Forum Collective Action Against Hate on Friday, April 1st. Brought to you by the University of Utah and the Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion folks up at the U. A 90-minute addition to their Friday Forums on Racism and Higher Education series. We're going to focus on the threat towards HBCUs and black spaces at the University of Utah and universities across the country. Do check that out. Tuesday, April 5th. Got to get this on your radar. Lights out, dark sky efforts, and Swanner stargazing 7 to 9 at the Swanner Preserve and Eco Center in Park City. Dark sky initiatives celebrate and encourage the preservation of night skies. This talk, walk, and stargazing opportunity will discuss light pollution, the effect nighttime lights have on people and the environment, and what we all can do to protect our views of the Milky Way. And I think that kind of takes us to our next guest, from preserving the night sky to preserving, saving Parley's Canyon. And Scott Williams is back with us in the studio from this new grassroots organization. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for being here. Appreciate your time. Get you closer to that mic a little bit, sir. Okay. And we wanted to get an update, because when you were here last week, you you dropped a couple of bombs, (laughs) I feel, (laughs) especially since we had a Tribune reporter who was like, now, what is your name? And what's that number? We need to talk to you about this. So briefly explain, again, Save Parley's Canyon, a group of homeowners and stakeholders. Right. And downwind people who live in Canyon Rim and hikers and all sorts of people. So um, there was a proposal by a private landowner to develop a one square mile gravel pit two miles up Parley's Canyon on the um, south side of of the road that would have basically excavated most of the north slope of Grandeur Peak. Um, and so we got, uh, Brian Maffley actually drove, broke this story in the Tribune back in November, saw the public notice in the paper. No one knew about it. So we got active, um, got on it, opposed it, 
Um, they tried to sort of exploit a gray area in the law, and they applied for both a small mining permit and a large mining permit from the Division of Oil, Gas, and Mining. Um, and um, the division said, no, you can't do that. You have to say what it is. They said, no, we don't, and appealed it to the Oil, Gas, and Mining Board. Um, the Oil, Oil, Gas, and Mining Board has scheduled a hearing for uh, yesterday. And a couple days before the hearing, um, we got notice that the uh, Oil, Gas, and Mining Division and the private owner, Tree Farm, had come to an agreement they would withdraw those two permits and only file a small mining permit. So now it's a large mining, large mine masquerading as a small mine. Oh, wow. Okay. So where does this leave Safe Parleys in terms of getting the word out or pushing back on this? So there's a provision in the law that allows the director of the Division Oil, Gas, and Mining to issue an emergency order because of a public health emergency, which we believe there is due to the air quality impacts. And we're asking him to put a moratorium on processing any new mine permits because uh, simultaneously the staff asked the board, they said, there's too much gray here. We don't have the tools we need to protect public health. We don't have the tools we need to deal with the citizens' concern in, in po populated areas. And we need policy guidance. And the board dismissed that motion. They, they ruled against that motion. And so we're now asking John Baza, who's the director of the Oil, Gas, and Mining Division, to issue an emergency order uh, putting a moratorium on processing any new small mining permits until those gray areas and the policy guidance the staff has requested is provided. Simultaneously, Salt Lake County is looking at restricting mining in the canyon, correct? And correct. It, this is now sounds like a game of uh, uh, who can get their paperwork in faster, Scott. That's exactly right. So the county has a draft ordinance change that would prohibit mining as a conditional use in the forest and canyons overlay zone. Um, that has been approved by the Mountainous Division Planning Commission, the Salt Lake County Planning Commission, and we believe it will be heard before the Salt Lake County Council in the next couple of weeks. They've put a moratorium on any mining and new mines in the um, Wasatch Mountains until the mid-May. Until mid-May, but the zoning doesn't prohibit it necessarily. So if they can get their, their applications in before they can get a zone restriction approved, then all bets are off, right? And that's kind of a legal question. Yeah. So um, if, if uh, Tree Farm gets their mining permit from the Division of Oil, Gas, and Mining and submits it to the county, right now the county will say we can't accept it because we put a moratorium. Uh -huh. And so what we don't know is, is sort of like it's, it's a race to the finish line here, right? But whatever happens, um, there's a likelihood this will end up in court to resolve who, um, s whose decision should have come first. Well, I want to go back to the staff essentially saying, we don't have the tools. It's 2022. I'm concerned as to why the tools weren't in place, uh, anticipating something like this, since there is mining in the canyon. So what, what gap has ha transpired there? And again, I'd like to remind folks that Scott is not only a member of Safe Parley's Canyon, but former executive director of Heal Utah. So you've got some background in these issues. Yeah, and I also worked for the state for 12 years in the health department, so I know a little bit about Public how health, state, yeah. states and also how state procedures work. So, um, yeah, the staff basically said um, when someone applies for a small mine, um, the, the law doesn't allow a public comment period. It doesn't allow us to con consider issues related to air quality. 
um, and they enumerated a couple of other things and they said we don't feel like we have the tools when someone applies for a small mine permit or a large mine permit in a highly populated county a class one or class two county basically the Wasatch Front we don't have the tools to serve the public's interests um, we only have the tools to serve the mining industry's interests and they put that in writing it's a motion they submitted to the board um, so having submitted to that board, they said, we think there needs to be changes. The board said, we're not going to address that. So now every now everybody who thinks they might want to submit a mining uh, permit in the populated areas, like, we better get it in now because changes may be coming. So it's just oh. set up this, this really um, concerning situation, which is why we're asking for the moratorium. Okay, I'm going to ask you to speculate here, given all of your, your background and expertise. Do you think the board feels that they would have been making law instead of rules to ask for something like that? Is that why they punted on it? The staff's um, motion for is called a, uh, a motion f as requesting policy clarification. That's the name of it. They've actually divided into this is what would have to be changed in law, and this is what could be changed in rule, which the board has the power to do. So they were very clear about the changes that could be made that would require legislative action and the, the changes that could be done with board action. And the board just um, came out and voted unanimous. Well, they, they ruled against that motion. The makeup of the board, care to characterize them in any way? Their everyone, interests? Well, everyone on the board comes from the mining industry. Conflict of interest as far as you're concerned? Well, you know, whether they probably recuse themselves as someone from their domain comes and uh, does a permit. The problem is there's no one on that board with public health expertise. There's no one on that board with wildlife habitat expertise. There's no one on that board with water um, rights expertise. So there's also so sorts of issues related to mining that aren't really represented as an independent expert on that board. So where does St. Parley's Canyon go from here? So we're asking people to send a letter to John Baza, B-A-Z-A, at utah.gov, to asking him to issue a moratorium on new mining permits in the populated counties. That's one thing. We're working closely with Save Our Canyons. We're, we're just a grassroots sort of, we're not even really officially organized, Save Parley's, but Save Our Canyons is, is kind of the umbrella. And as you know, they have a lot on their plate right now with the gondola and other things. So on the saveparleys.org website, there's a donate button, and we're trying to help raise money. Save Parleys has a lawyer who's working on this, and it's going to cost a fair amount of money this year to represent the public's interest through Save Our Canyons on this issue. So that's the other thing that um, we're asking people to do. And then keep an eye on the county council. Just search, search Salt Lake County uh, Council and you'll see a meetings and agendas link and go to the agendas and look at next, they post the agenda every Friday for the following Tuesday and look to see when that new ordinance for the forest and canyon overlay zone is on the agenda. We don't need a million people to testify. I think the council really wants to do this, but they need to see that a lot of people are interested in watching this issue. So just log into the Zoom and watch. We'll be sure to put a link in the show notes. You also have a petition and uh, some ideas on how to spread the word on your website, but my favorite one is register to vote. And if you want to be able to vote in the Republican primary, you need to affiliate as a Republican on or before the 31st of March, That's folks. correct. All right. So you got got to raise some money for the lawyer to, to go and, and fight this. How you feeling? What's your, what's your sense of 
Well, I'm really encouraged that it appears that the county council, there's a bipartisan support for changing this ordinance and prohibiting mining in the Wasatch. That's huge. Um, and so um, I, I'm really hoping that the county council holds the line on that. I know they're getting lobbied fairly heavily. Um, and if that ordinance passes, then they're probably, they could very well end up in court. And I think they're ready to, to fight it. All right. What's the website for Save Parley's Canyon? Saveparleys.org. Pretty simple. Thanks so much for coming back down. Thanks, Laura. You know, you know where we are, and I know you know where we are, so I'll be calling. All right, great. <laughs> great. Thanks so much. Hey, when we come back, we're going to get into the uh, Senate hearings to confirm Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown Jackson. And I wanted to share with you her opening statements when uh, they opened these hearings earlier this week. This is courtesy of C-SPAN. Members of this committee, if I am confirmed, I commit to you that I will work productively to support and defend the Constitution and this grand experiment of American democracy that has endured over these past 246 years. I have been a judge for nearly a decade now, and I take that responsibility and my duty to be independent very seriously. I decide cases from a neutral posture. I evaluate the, the facts, and I interpret and apply the law to the facts of the case before me without fear or favor, consistent with my judicial oath. I know that my role as a judge is a limited one, that the Constitution empowers me only to decide cases and controversies that are properly presented. And I know that my judicial role is further constrained by careful adherence to precedent. Now, in preparing for these hearings, you may have read some of my more than 570 written decisions. And you may have also noticed that my opinions tend to be on the long side. That is because I also believe in transparency that people should know precisely what I think and the basis for my decision. And all of my professional experiences, including my work as a public defender and as a trial judge, have instilled in me the importance of having each litigant know that the judge in their case has heard them, whether or not their arguments prevail in court. During this hearing, I hope that you will see how much I love our country and the Constitution and the rights that make us free. I stand on the shoulders of so many who have come before me, including Judge Constance Baker Motley, who was the first African-American woman to be appointed to the federal bench and with whom I share a birthday. And like Judge Motley, I have dedicated my career to ensuring that the words engraved on the front of the Supreme Court building, equal justice under law, are a reality and not just an ideal. Thank you for this historic chance to join the highest court to work with brilliant colleagues to inspire future generations 
and to ensure liberty and justice for all. Katanji Brown Jackson, Supreme Court nominee, her opening statement in the Senate confirmation hearings earlier this week. And we're going to be talking about that next. But uh, one of my guests, Erica George, had a, an idea for a song. And it was like, duh, right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's do it, shall we? We want to play DJ and introduce the song? Sure. Is this going to be a song about R-E-S-P-E-C-T? It is. A little Aretha Franklin for us tonight on Radioactive on KRCL. Stick around. Guadalupe School in Rose Park needs volunteers to teach English to adult immigrants in our community. No teaching experience or a second language is required, just the desire to make a difference. More information at guadschool.org. KRCL Spring Radiothon starts April 22nd. That's right, Earth Day. If you're planning to donate already, why not do it right now at krcl.org. In honor of Earth Day, why not plant a tree for a one-time donation of $100? Let's kick off Radiothon right and head into Earth Day with half a forest ready to plant. Donate now at krcl.org. Thanks. And thank you. The records, CDs, tapes, even some A-tracks are starting to come in. So good job, everybody. More details at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones. This is Radioactive on KRCL. And coming up tonight at 7 o'clock, you get Democracy Now!, followed by Thursday Night Psychout with DJ Mike, The Dirty Boulevard, Rich sitting in for Gianni at 10.30, and then he sticks around for his own show, I Don't Sound Like Nobody, at 1 a.m., Illustrated Blues at 3, and then John Florence kicking off your Friday with a brand new day at 6 a.m. Have you been paying attention? Have you been seeing what's going on? Back in Washington, D.C., the confirmation hearings of Katanji Brown-Jackson to the Supreme Court. And I just have a clip to set things up before we introduce our guests. And I just want to make sure I get the right one here, folks. But uh, we've got a whole 40 minutes or so to talk about this with Erica George of the Tanner Humanities Center at the University of Utah. And then also Sandra Stokes from the YWCA. And I'm gonna think I'm going to start with the historic aspect of it. Here's Senator Cory Booker. This is not a normal day for America. We have never had this moment before. And I just want to talk about uh, the joy. I know tomorrow and the coming hearings, we're going to have tough, hard questions. But please, let me just acknowledge the fact that this is not normal. It's never happened before. The Senate is poised right now to break another bat barrier. We are on the precipice of shattering another ceiling, another glass ceiling. It's a sign that we, as a country, are continuing to rise to our collective cherished highest ideals. I, I, I just feel this sense of overwhelming joy as I see you sitting there, as I see your family sitting behind you. You know, the greatness of America is that these imperfect geniuses at our founding founded a nation different than any before on, in human history. It wasn't because we all prayed the same or looked the same. They put forth in a constitution the best hopes for humanity and the story of America, I think, is a testimony to this world of what diverse people can achieve. It's been said by so many of my colleagues about the fact that we have had 115 Supreme Court justices. And we shouldn't diminish the accomplishments of mostly these 108 white men. They were extraordinary patriots who helped shape this country. But now we are seeing to the highest court in our land 
a hopeful day like this, that, that so many of the people, so much of the rich talent of our nation who could not scarcely ever dream of sitting on the Supreme Court, now we are showing that we will indeed d go deep into the waters of our nation and pull forth the best talent. And pull forth the best talent. Senator Cory Booker, Democrat of New Jersey. And joining us, we have Erica George. Hi, Erica. Thanks for coming down. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And Sandra Stokes from the YWCA. Hello. Hello. And hello, Professor George. It's so good to be in community with you and share this space and talk about this topic. I'm like, I'm excited. I'm I giddy. I'm happy to share <laughs> the joy. <laughs> yes. Well, let's riff on this historic aspect. And uh, you're also a professor at the S.J. Quinney College of Law. I am. And you're teaching constitutional law right now. So I'll get this. I am pretty interesting as a backdrop? Oh, it's it's been fascinating, and I, I don't know if I shared with you, um, Judge Brown Jackson is a classmate of mine. We were at Harvard no. Law School together. Yes. No, you didn't yes. tell me that. Yeah, so um, that last bit, that she is talented and worthy, um, I can attest that this woman is extraordinarily talented. There are a number of talented people at Harvard Law School. Um, it is a place that attracts talent, that admits talent, that cultivates talent. And among talented people, she was truly among the top, the top, the most talented, really. So um, what you saw on display it was the person that I knew as a student, the judge that she's become. Um, she's the real deal, and mm -hmm. she is really extraordinary. And Sandra, I'd love to hear from you what the talk around the water cooler is at the YWCA, where part of your mission is combating racism and inclusivity is something you'd seek to build. Absolutely. And I think looking at the, the power of representation, right? So for me, it's to see myself like, wow. And, you know, there was that there's been that mention of this is the moment for our ancestors, for our parents, for our grandparents, for myself. And just looking at where Judge Brown Jackson is in this moment and where the, like her trajectory and the reach in that moment, that's what's going around is like, this is happening. Like she, she is in, she is in, she's doing things. She's been doing things like this is what it means to have us showing up in courtrooms, in like in law, in our community. It's in every facet. And that's just more of it. That's kind of the conversation that's floating around is just, sheer excitement right and she is doing things she is doing so much she could yes. have done anything this woman was at the top of her class at harvard law school a lot of those people go on to make millions of dollars a lot of those people go on to be captains of industry a lot of those people go on to um, benefit themselves. Mm -hmm. She chose to be of public service. She's a public servant. Um, I will also add Harvard Law School is not cheap. Many mm -hmm. of us <laughs> left there with some <laughs> deep, deep debt. Um, she made a conscious decision av among many options to opt to do work that sometimes, frankly, was not that popular. Mm -hmm. She chose criminal defense mm -hmm. work um, and not white collar criminal defense. <laughs> I mean, she was working with indigent yeah. Um, accused criminals. She worked through public system. Yes. She's a graduate of public education, excelled at a top private university, and never forgot about giving back mm. and paying forward. Um, and that is who she has been consistently. I wanted to share another clip from Senator Booker's opening remarks. And for folks that aren't familiar with how these hearings work, everybody gets a chance to make kind of their opening statements on the Judiciary Committee. And this was part of that conversation. Today, to me, is a day of joy. I cannot tell you how happy I am. Today, we should rejoice. 
because President Biden nominated someone that we've heard to be the 116th associate judge of the Supreme Court who is extraordinarily talented and who also happens to be a black woman, something we've never seen before. Judge Jackson's nomination breaks an artificially confining mold of our past and opens up a more promising potential-filled future for us all as Americans. It signals that this nation will draw more deeply from all of our talent and genius that will benefit all Americans. This is the America that most of our families speak of from all our diverse backgrounds, an America where anybody can achieve anything, not because of the color of their skin, but because of the content of their character. And God, I can't wait for America to find out more about your character. When the next generation behind us looks at the highest courts in the land, this ideal will be made more real in even just the faces of the nine. You bring this wealth of experience that's exciting to me. You've seen so many parts of our legal system, but I just wanna talk about you, your role as a public defender because that too is unprecedented. I have a friend uh, that, my, uh, that just was at the a prayer breakfast here in Congress, Brian Stevenson, he has this saying, he says, we have a justice system that treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. I'm not sure if most Americans know that 80% of those who go before our nation's criminal courts can't afford an attorney. To this end, a public defender should be looked at as one of the most honorable roles within our judicial system, and yet we have never had a public defender or anyone who served as a public defender on our highest court. And it, unfortunately, is very lacking amongst all federal judges. You wrote, uh, Judge, that the role of the public defender made you a better judge. You said it gave you a chance to, quote, help people in need and to promote core constitutional values. Well, the Sixth Amendment right to the assistance of counsel is guaranteed regardless of wealth and despite the nature of the accusations. Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey in his opening remarks in the Senate confirmation hearings for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. So Erica George, Sandra Stokes, I want to riff on this for a bit because there's a, a lot in there to unpack and you recognized a reference as well, Erica, that you may want to share with our listeners. Go ahead. Oh, oh hold on. Senator Sorry. Bo there you go. Senator Booker mentioned um, encountering his friend at a prayer breakfast, Brian Stevenson. Now, the important thing to know about Brian Stevenson, um, he has an extraordinary book, Just Mercy, but he has been doing indigent criminal defense for people who are accused of capital crimes who will um, meet the ultimate penalty, the death penalty. Now, that is not work that's going to win you popularity contests, um, clearly. But the work that is done there is about keeping our system honest, as well as ensuring that innocent people aren't convicted wrongly. Um, we know that there are disproportionate representations mm -hmm. of people of color in the U.S. justice system. We know the U.S. justice system, criminal justice system rather, globally incarcerates almost as many people as China, which has uh, more people than any other country on the planet. So we have issues with criminal justice. And to have someone with the perspective of the part of the system that is keeping the people honest, um, protecting an adversarial system means we actually have worthy adversaries on the other side. One of the other senators who was a former prosecutor said as much. 
um, we have a better system when we have people represented by effective counsel. That's why there's effective assistance of counsel recognized as a right. I think we would have a better Supreme Court if we had someone on there who's a public defender, and she would be the first one to have that credential. I saw a great um, chart that mm -hmm. had the little check boxes by everything, yeah. and uh, uh, she, uh, she seems to bring more to the table than, than quite Hello. a few. I don't she wish really to disparage no, no, the others, she really but she does. really brings She's some operated things. at every level of the federal judicial system. So I was a, a federal judicial clerk to a district court judge. That's a trial court judge. She clerked for a trial court judge. She clerked for a circuit court. That's an appellate court judge. And she clerked for the Supreme Court justice whose seat that she may soon, she will soon occupy. So she's seen every level of federal court. She's been on multiple sides of different issues. She's ruled for and against the government. She's ruled for and against um, multiple parties, right? Yeah. So um, integrity and independence is something that I value in a judge and in a justice, and she has demonstrated that. Sandra? Continually shows up. I think that's the consistency that I like to speak to, that transparency and consistency, and the fact that it's recognized by saying she's one of the most qualified nominees that has come in this room, that has mm -hmm. stepped into that space, into that room. And what that means to, to me and indicates is like, but yet she's still got to sit there and endure the indignant, the mm -hmm. disrespect, mm -hmm. knowing that she's the most qualified person that has come through those doors in who knows how long. And yet here she is finding herself in this predicament on this other side of this most ridiculous questioning I've ever heard, which I mean, I shouldn't be shocked, but I'm shocked that still to this day when I'm like, I got to go for a walk. I'm upset. Like, yeah. You know what she's had to sit and endure. But just the fact that she is she's steady, she shows up and to know that there is a nominee out there who's had to hold the system accountable, but also provide representation for those of us most disproportionately represented in this judicial system, mm -hmm. that means to me, you're critiquing and looking through a lens to look at the conditions in which we are, have constantly been put in. Yeah. And Senator Booker talked quite a bit about, uh, as surely she will be confirmed, that um, this forever changes the image of the Supreme Court and opens up possibilities for kids who don't even know they wanna be lawyers. Yet. And I'm just kind of curious your responses to African-American women sitting here talking about this. What you, what you think? What does that mean for you moving forward? What does it mean for the young, young kids coming after? Oh, wow. You know, I'm now, as you're saying that, I'm remembering watching Senator, um, well, Representative Barbara Jordan, um, seeing uh, Constance Baker Motley, images of powerful, smart, intelligent black women engaging with legislative process with law, that had an impact, an indelible one. And I am so proud that she will have that same influence and impact. Um, Sandra and I were talking earlier, there's this beautiful, beautiful image that's been circulating of um, Judge Brown Jackson and in the row behind her, mm -hmm. Her daughter, her Layla, daughter looking right? on Layla with the pride of a proud mom at her mom. And um, I've since learned that the photographer who captured that image for the New York Times is also a young black woman. Mm -hmm. And I was reflecting on how someone sees what we see when we see ourselves and who is us and what that means to see someone achieve and attain and be attacked and withstand and still rise. Yeah. That's and beautiful. Sandra, at the Y, 
so much of this has got to be resonating with the different groups and committees and the young women's group that you have. Absolutely. I think for me personally, like for myself as a black woman, you know, when I reach back to thinking, what is it? What does this moment mean? Seeing Judge Brown Jackson, like in this space, I'm like, okay, yes, this is this is beautiful. And also being in this space as, you know, as a community member and at the YWCA, it's just looking at we are not a monolith. We are so diverse as a black diaspora. And I just find the beauty in the moment and also the power and also wanting to hold for myself to name. It's also not on her shoulders to fix us and to go into that space and mm-hmm. show up for everything and everyone like to still let her be her. So mm-hmm. I think that's the other piece, too, is the pressure that also often comes with being the first, right? right? The first black woman, the first black person. Um, And just within community and outside community, especially as black women, historically, like fixing the injustices has fallen on us and it's Mm -hmm. part of that story. And that's been one of the most frustrating things as well is to see her not get get that space because I know culturally like she can't get angry because no. we know what that means and what white supremacy does like she was not angry she was not she was like <laughs> I'm gonna hold steady I'm gonna I see you let's yeah. you know but just to even know in that moment so I think for me and myself at the YWCA as a black woman in Utah in this world I also look at giving space and grace but also honoring the moment that is so powerful she is a force all in her all on her own her existence is yeah. threatening everyone in that room like that's coming mm. for her or supporting her like i see you yeah. let's go but at the same time what the sacri- threatens oh. is the conception that someone like her cannot be yes this, or should not be um she's disrupting spaces and changing impressions by her very presence mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that she has graced that space with poise and um wisdom and patience has truly been extraordinary mm-hmm. i got a couple of clips that i want to share too uh, and this is w- with her responding to a question uh, or a prompt from senator booker about her role as a mom and what she's had to sacrifice to get to where she is and i thought it was a, a great uh, moment so you said in your opening remarks that you haven't been as good of a parent i think if i'm s- a paraphrasing right a good as a mom as you'd like to be and I looked at your two girls, and I look at you, and it, I, don't, I don't understand that statement. Could you, could you maybe explain for me what you meant and maybe take one more beat and explain to me um, what it means to you to be a mom of two young women growing up in America today? Thank you, Senator. Um, what I said in my statement was that... Um, that I had struggled, like so many working moms, to juggle uh, motherhood and career. And uh, it takes a lot of hard work to become a judge, to do the work of a judge, which I've done now for almost 10 years. Uh, You have a lot of cases. You don't have all that many resources, comparatively speaking, and it's a lot of early mornings and late nights. And what that means is there will be hearings during your daughter's recitals. Um, There'll be emergencies on birthdays. 
that you have to that you have to handle. And I know so many young women in this country, especially who have small kids who have these momentous events and have to make a choice. You talked about your mom making the choice to make sure that she cared for you in that moment. And there are times when obviously you have to care for your family members. There are other times when there are events that you wish you could be a part of, but here's the emergency case that you have to deal with. And so I said in my opening um, that girls, you know, you had to deal with me juggling motherhood and uh, job responsibilities, and I, I didn't always get the balance right. And so I would hope for them um, seeing me hopefully you all will confirm me, seeing me um, moved to the Supreme Court, that they can know that you don't have to be perfect in your career trajectory and you can still end up doing what you want to do, that you just have to understand that there are lots of responsibilities in the world and that you don't have to be a, a perfect mom, but if you do your best and you love your children, that things will things will turn out okay. Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson. Senate confirmation hearings back in DC as she is soon going to be. All signs point to yes. I don't want to jinx it though, that uh, she'll be on the Supreme Court. And our guests in the studio this hour, we have Professor Erica George and we have Sandra Stokes from the YWCA. Sandra, you're a mom. Yes. So hearing that, I mean, I don't, you know, it, I'm not sure how that weighs into her ju judicial philosophy, but what she had to sacrifice to get there mm -hmm. and to be ready to be there was a lot on her family. Absolutely. I always look at it um, as a mom myself. It was my children shared me with the work I did. And they showed in, they showed up, and they had to participate in it. And I think in this moment for Judge Brown Jackson, her acknowledging, like, she had to do both and. She had to be a judge, and she had to be a parent. And she wanted to try to find the balance. And to hear just the, like, you know, the way her voice shakes and the emotion it invokes, because for me, that tapped into, like, I just, I want to be a good mom. And can I do both? And to hear that moment and her carry this high-level like job that she's got and still holding and equating her motherhood equally to that. It's like, how do you make room for both? And she's doing it and her children are watching her and here for it. I kind of say she's getting, she gets to get her, get her flowers. And as a mom, I'm like, this is the moment, get your flowers and have your children there to watch it. Mm -hmm. I was like, that in itself is like, I want to model for my daughter. Like you can do both. And as we talk about it at the Y, that's part of the conversation. You get, you can do both. You don't have to yeah. feel like it's an either or. The world's, and our job as a support circle is to give you space and room to do both. And she is doing both and modeling that and for her children to watch that, for her daughters to see. As, you know, Erica, Professor George brought up that photo, like that's that moment right there. Her children are watching her take H in this moment. 116th Supreme Court Justice. Um, Erica, what are your thoughts? Uh, I believe, as I am, you are single. Yes. <laughs> and um, so when you hear a, a judge for the highest court in the land talking about their family as a part of who they are, I think that's perhaps a different perspective than we have gotten from, you know, way back when. 
I think it's more a part of the conversation now, but it's a unique perspective she brings. You know, I, I think it becomes part of the conversation when we have women being <laughs> confirmed. I don't recall how much Neil Justice Gorsuch or Justice Kavanaugh had to answer questions about being dads. I don't know if they're dads. The, the fact that I don't know that. Yeah. Actually, I do think Judge Kavan Justice yeah. Kavanaugh. And in any event, um, <laughs> women do carry double duty, right? Mm -hmm. um, and whether it's Justice Sotomayor and Justice Kagan, who are also women who are child-free and single, th there is this added um, examination of how one is in relation to family or what family means. And I think what we are seeing or what we've seen is that there are many and multiple ways to understand community, family, contribution, and role. Um, so... I'm not sure if that's responsive, no, but no, I think what we see are women in different professions mm -hmm. and different ways of being in life um, and having different ways of being yeah. part of the fabric of what constitutes well-being and service and showing up for someone else and for others. To me, understanding how a nominee is with their family, mm -hmm. whether they're single or married, because we either... We make the families we want, right? right, right. Um, I understand that person a little bit more and perhaps their motivations and what they value. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily family values, but what they value in building yeah. their life, right? Yeah. And so I, I appreciate that and understand the Supreme Court more as I have gotten older mm -hmm. and just it's this nine justices in black fancy yeah. robes, right? Yeah. Um, so let's talk a bit about the mudslinging, all right? This is a highly partisan um, event, television event and we've we've seen folks angling for their you know clickbait in essence so they can get on whatever outlet of their choice is there anything that's really kind of stuck in your craw frankly that you wanted to riff on because i want to talk about religion as a litmus test there isn't a litmus <laughs> test lindsey mm -hmm. graham and i thought that was just it, it kind of blew my mind given our constitution and our separation of church and state and he wanted to know what religion she was yes did she go how often did she go and i was just losing my mind sandra absolutely and i was losing my mind on the other side with you i was like this is wild and like i said it, earlier it was it shouldn't be shocking but it was still shocking i was like ah, okay here we go and the fact that he wouldn't not let go but she also herself was able to articulate like mm -hmm. this is my faith and this is it's personal and this is how, what I believe but I also I she talks about being objective I keep my personal faith and values but I look at the law and the case separately I'm doing the best I can and she just holds on to that and he just kept pressing and pushing and she Which just kept coming back to it right we don't live in a theocracy thank this you is a democracy you say that sitting here in Utah well I, I will still stand by that. <laughs> I will still stand by that. There should not be a lit religious litmus mm -hmm. test to be on the highest court in mm -hmm. a land that is yeah. a plural society. So much about religion, though, organized religion, becomes shorthand for values mm -hmm. yes. and um, is used as a, as a chip, even, for different reasons by different political vantage points. Right. Well, I think the underlying assumption is if you are a good whatever religion Lindsey Graham wants the justice to be, you're going to rule 
in a ways that are aligned with his preferred political outcomes. Although he did and say he only goes to church three times a year in trying to get her to respond. Mm. Well, but but in in some instances beyond the clickbait and the political theater of getting my soundbite to set myself up for running for president, Senator Cruz. Um, I think these are trying to test out where is this nominee going to stand on the wedge issues that go to the heart of what some faith traditions might think is sacrosanct. Um, I was struck by Senator Blackburn, the question about, well, define a woman for me, or mm. I don't know if you missed this. So this no, is the I, saw, I saw it, but I'm just like, for, from Tennessee, mm-hmm. but Toes that was that. deeply loaded, yes. right? So kind of the soft setup and the Southern Belle accent and uh. you're a mama and then yeah. launching some pretty wild proclamations about where she sends her children to school and what children are reading, right? So it, it felt very um, insincere, mm-hmm. fear-mongering mm-hmm. that just didn't meet the individual sitting in front yeah. of us all. The nation saw a composed, intelligent, compassionate woman who loves her family and is a person of faith, um, being painted as someone who is not to be trusted or not not taking seriously the safety of children or that's intent on indoctrination when nothing could be further yeah. from the truth. Blackburn also wanted her to comment on Roe v. Wade, and mm-hmm. I really liked her response, Sandra, about it is settled law mm-hmm. going into a court that appears ready to overturn it yes mm-hmm. yes and i feel like in that moment as professor george like articulated it was the it was the gaslighting through the questioning that was coming through and for me it was like you know the microaggressions with the macro insults like yes. constantly getting wove in even when it came to looking at roe v wade right and just yes. trying to like poke holes in who she is so they can say aha that's who you are you're gonna come in here and this is what you're gonna do and it's like she just she just stayed even killed and she just kept it kept it for her, kept it centered, and she said what she needed to say, and they were like, well, we thought, we, you know, there was a commentary talk about, we thought we'd be able to hear a little bit more about which way she leaned on Roe v. Wade. That's, you know, and they said yeah. the fact that she was like, won't even define her philosophy. Like, it's like, I'm not giving you nothing. And I'm she called it a methodology, and yes. they were, you know, the commentariat about that was was quite wild. We're talking about the Supreme Court nominee, Katanji Brown-Jackson, with my guests this evening on Radioactive. Sandra Stokes from the YWCA of Utah and Professor Erica George from the Tanner Humanities Center at the University of Utah. And I was thinking we'd play some of the songs that you sent. I'm just going to have to make notes in the show notes mm-hmm. so they were because we are running out of time to hit some of the things that I want to. And one of them is... A, a great story that she shared about inspiring youth, and this is uh, in response to Senator Alex Padilla of California, who starts off this next clip. What would you say, Judge Jackson, to all those young Americans, the most diverse generation in our nation's history, what do you say to some of them who may doubt that they can one day achieve the same great heights that you have? Thank you, Senator. Um, That was very moving. And I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak to young people. I appreciate it very much. I do it a lot for the reasons that you have articulated. I, um, I hope to inspire people 
to try to follow um, this path because I love this country. Because I love the law. Because I think it is important that we all invest in our future. And the young people are the future. And so I want them to know that they can do and be anything. And I'll just say that um, I will tell them what uh, an anonymous person said to me once. I was walking through Harvard Yard my freshman year. As I mentioned, I went to uh, public school. And I didn't know anything about Harvard until um, my debate coach took me there to enter a speech competition. And I thought, this is a great university. It was basically one of the only ones I'd seen. And I said, maybe I'll apply when I'm a senior. But I get there, and whoa, <laughs> so different. I'm from Miami, Florida. Boston is very cold. Um, it was. Um, it was rough. It was different from anything I'd known. There were lots of students there who were um, prep school kids, like my husband, <laughs> um, who knew all about <laughs> knew all about Harvard, and, and that was not not me. And I think the first semester, I was really homesick. I was really questioning. Um, do I belong here? Can I, can I make it in this environment? And I was walking through the yard in the evening, and a black woman I did not know was passing me on the sidewalk. And she looked at me, and I guess she knew how I was feeling. And she leaned over as we crossed and said, persevere. I would tell them to persevere. Supreme Court nominee Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Whew, mm -hmm. That got me just again, Sandra mm -hmm. and Erica. I just would love to hear your reaction to that. Professor yes. George. Yes. The, the anonymous knowing you can do it. Mm -hmm. Everything and everyone is telling you you can't, you should, you aren't. Um, and that was someone saying, you are. Yes. It, it is, um, you know, the Barack Obama, yes, you can, all right? Um, so running into someone, seeing her start to internalize what's spoken, what's unspoken, and speaking that word, mm -hmm. persevere, we've seen her live that through this <laughs> confirmation hearing, yes. persevering amidst the unfounded attacks, the assaults, um, the aggressions, and she will continue to persevere. Absolutely. And it ties into what we talked about earlier, which is representation. What does it mean? Why, what is, I mean, so much the fact that an, this, a black woman saw her and read the body language, saw the look on her face, and without having any explanation, was like, ah, I know what this is. I know mm -hmm. what you're going through. I see what you're feeling. Persevere. Like, that's what's also important about being in that space and having representation. You know, as Bell Hooks talks about, wherever we're not supposed to be, 
go there. Yeah. And that is why for that moment, as she talked about youth as well, mm-hmm. it looks at this is the, that is the power of that moment and what it means to be in community and have community reflected and see ourselves at all the different institutions we have to mm-hmm. participate and engage in. And persevering through some of the questioning, too, yes. especially about critical race theory. Oh, Cruise <laughs> Hotness Express. Yes. The fact that, like, <laughs> Hotness Express, that's what I got. Oh, Professor George, that's yeah. what I got. And the fact that he, you know, I, I love that she said, I, I don't know about that book. Yeah, I haven't read that book. And he kept saying, you're a board member. Well, yeah, you're a board member. But then she oh was also God. talking about, like, I'm also a judge. And my job is to, you know administer the law like that that's what i'm doing and he just kept going back to the book so those sound bites that we talk about yeah. and the propaganda trying to confirm some bias that he knows is out there because she is a black woman in this space i was like this well, is what i meant about that loaded moment like yeah. that see the fact that crt is coming up and she's just like i have not read that book but i can tell you that my job is to like you know uphold the uphold the law and right. to also make a call based on the laws y'all create i don't create the laws I followed them and then have to judge a case according to it. Well, yeah, not I to mention the disingenuous later that right? there was literally a visual aid yes. of a children's book and <laughs> we, a confirmation hearing of a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, yeah. it's beyond well, it's a private school. It's a private school he's talking about, and Amy Coney Barrett, now Supreme Court mm-hmm. justice, was in a similar question about did you know what was um, coming through the curriculum in the school that you're on the board of. So uh, that little grandstanding in theatrics always just kind of um. gets me gets me going. I wanted to talk about the stakes, Professor George. What's at stake here? And you uh, wanted to talk about Senator Klobuchar. Yeah. You know, so um, the first day of the hearings was really the senators um, laying out the kinds of issues they were interested in and the sorts of questions that would be forthcoming. And I was struck by Senator Klobuchar intervention on that first day Um, and she reminded us of the kinds of questions the crucial questions that come before the United States Supreme Court dreamers will they be able to continue to dream voters will we be able to vote healthcare will we have it will we not will we have some people are a court decision away from things that will change their life irreversibly, deeply, irreparably? Will we have clean air and water and the agencies able to enforce those laws? Who can be heard and how? The precedent of this court determines the lives of so many people, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. And frankly, um, I will sleep better at night and entrust Judge Brown Jackson, soon to be Justice Brown Jackson, to be someone making those decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming in. In the few minutes that we have left, I just wanted to go off on a few tangents. And that's first, the Stand Against Racism 21-Day Challenge coming up with the Y in April, Sandra. Yes, it is. And we are doing something a little different this year. Um, in the previous two years, we've invited the community to like join the challenge. We still invite you to join us, and you can sign up and do so. But we also are doing the challenge at the same time as uh, the other, y- other YWCAs across the nation are doing. So it's kind of in step, but we've done ours in the summer. And so we will be taking this and looking f- internally as an organization. Like this is how we're taking this challenge to make sure we are trying to show up and do, do the work, not just be the mission, but do the work and do this in community. So we still invite you all to take it with us um, and to sign up on our website. So it's 
it's going to launch soon, so make sure you get signed up. And any tickets left to the Lido Luncheon with keynote Angela Davis? Oh, y'all. Woo! Woo! Yes, I'm so excited. Uh, there are some tickets left still, um, but it is still full because, as you know, we at the YWC have been moving with an abundance of caution um, because we have some of um, our community members who are most impacted uh, by COVID. So we did cancel last year, and tickets, we upheld those mm -hmm. and said we will honor them. So there's still a few out there, but not as many as before because we have to carry over. But we're excited uh, for Dr. Davis to come through and just to hear she's what she's, she's, her brilliance, just let it shed on us, and I will be soaking it in. <laughs> What's the <laughs> website? You're going to go to ywcautah.org, so please visit our page. And we will put that in the show notes too, folks. And then Professor Erica George, Tanner Humanities Center Director, uh, also S.J. Cooney College of Law. You're teaching constitutional law, and you just published a book. I'm not sure which number book this is, but it's <laughs> called Incorporating Rights, Strategies to Advance Corporate Accountability. And I just wanted to briefly touch upon what's going on in Ukraine, and we're seeing all these corporations pull out. We're seeing the ones that aren't getting directed a lot of shame their way online. What's your take? Absolutely. Well, my take and the take in the book is that corporations have a responsibility to respect human rights. So if you are connected to, contributing to, or causing exacerbating atrocities, human rights abuses, which it would be difficult to not do, given the aggressive conflict that Russia has waged in Ukraine, businesses really need to think very carefully about how they can address and avoid the impacts that they would cause. So I expect to see more businesses and more financial institutions revisit what they're doing and remove themselves from being culpable in what is becoming a human rights catastrophe. International human rights, part of the work that you do, and I'm just curious your thoughts on war crimes uh, in that theater. Um, I, I think there is evidence, at least based on what I'm seeing, that it is happening. Um, there are civilian targets that are not legitimate military targets. That's a violation of Geneva Convention. Um, and I do hope Putin will be held to account for answering to those crimes. Thank you both for coming in. You're such dynamos in our community, and I offer you the mic anytime. In fact, y'all want to host a show every now and then? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm always looking to pass the microphone, and I'd love to have you back anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Professor Erica George, Sandra Stokes, Scott Williams earlier in the hour, and my thanks to Heidi Davies stepping up to take on uh, volunteer duties on Tuesday nights with Radioactive. Welcome to the KRCL team. And thank you to you for listening, for plugging into your community weeknights at 6 during Radioactive. Questions, comments, suggestions, send them to radioactive at krcl.org. And Radiothon is just around the corner, folks. We'd love to have your support to stay live and local for another six months. That's how we do it. One Radiothon at a time here at Listener's Community Radio of Utah. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. Salt Lake City.